This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. This is the one-year Bible reading for July 27th, and we are beginning today in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 1. And last time we read about King Jehoshaphat, who is king of Judah, joining forces with King Ahab of Israel, who was an evil king, uh, to battle against the Arameans, and that Ahab was killed at the end of battle. And that's where we're picking up this morning. When King Jehoshaphat of Judah arrived safely home in Jerusalem, Jehu, son of Hanani the seer, went out to meet him. Why should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? He asked the king. What have you done that uh, what you have done has brought the Lord's anger against you? There is some good against you uh, in you, however, for you have removed the Asherah poles throughout the land and you have committed yourself to seeking God. So Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, but he went out among the people, traveling from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, encouraging people to return to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He appointed judges throughout the nation in all the fortified cities, and he gave them these instructions. Always think carefully before pronouncing judgment. Remember that you do not judge to please people, but to please the Lord. He will be with you when you render the verdict in each case that comes before you. Fear the Lord and judge with care, for the Lord our God does not tolerate perverted justice, partiality, or the taking of bribes. Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and clan leaders in Israel to serve as judges in Jerusalem for cases concerning both the law of the Lord and civil disputes. These were his instructions to them. You must always act in fear of the Lord, with integrity and with an undivided heart. Whether a case comes to you from fellow citizens in an outlying town, uh, whether a murder case or some other violation of God's instructions, commands, laws, or regulations, you must warn them not to sin against the Lord so that his anger will not come against you and them. Do this and you will not be guilty. Amariah, the high priest, will have final say in all cases concerning the Lord. Zebediah, son of Ishmael, a leader from the tribe of Judah, will have final say in all civil cases. The Levites will assist you in making sure that justice is served. Take courage as you fulfill your duties, and may the Lord be with those who do what is right. After this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Mayunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazon Tamar. This was another name for Engedi. Jehoshaphat was alarmed by this news and sought the Lord for guidance. He also gave orders that everyone throughout Judah should observe a fast. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat stood before the people of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. He prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can 
O oh, our God, did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people arrived? And did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple for you. They said, whenever we are faced with any calamity, such as war, disease, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple, where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt, so they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. What a great statement. When we do not know what to do, we can look to the Lord for help. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord and their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You will find them coming through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out there tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud shout. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the leaders of the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had finished off the army of Seir, they turned on each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, there were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, much more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. On the fourth day, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today. Hmm. So cool that... God can turn our battleground into a valley of blessing. 
Then they returned to Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat leading them, full of joy that the Lord had given them victory over their enemies. They marched into Jerusalem to the music of harps, lyres, and trumpets, and proceeded to the temple of the Lord. When the surrounding kingdoms had heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace, for God had given him rest on every side. So Jehoshaphat ruled over the land of Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 25 years. His mother was Azubah, the daughter of Shehli. Jehoshaphat was a good king, following the ways of his father Asa. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. During his reign, however, he failed to remove all the pagan shrines, and the people never fully committed themselves to following the God of their ancestors. The rest of the events in Jehoshaphat's reign from beginning to end are recorded in the record of Jehu, son of Hanani, which is included in the book of the kings of Israel. But near the end of his life, King Jehoshaphat of Judah made an alliance with King Ahaziah of Israel, who was a very wicked man. Together they built a fleet of trading ships at the port of Ezion-Geber. Then uh, El Elizer, son of Dodavuhu from Marisha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat. He said, because you have allied yourself with King Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy your work. So the ships met with disaster and never put out to sea. Romans 10, 14, we're starting in today. And we had just read, and will remind us what we just read, that if we confess with the Lord, that with my, our mouths of Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And this starts, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is what the scriptures mean when they say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news, for Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? Yet faith comes from listening to this message of good news, the good news about Christ. But what about the Jews? Have they actually heard the message? Yes, they have. Quote, the message of God's creation has gone out to everyone and its words to all the world. We just read that in Psalm 19 a couple of days ago. But did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, God had said, I will rouse your jealousy by blessing other nations. I will make you angry by blessing the foolish Gentiles. And later, Isaiah spoke boldly for God. Quote, I was found by people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said, All day long I opened my arms to them, but they kept disobeying me and arguing with me. I asked then, Has God rejected his people, the Jews? Of course not. Remember that I myself am a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people, whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you remember what the scriptures say about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I alone am left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And do you remember God's reply? He said, you are not the only one left. 
I have 7,000 others who have never bowed to Baal. It is the same today, for not all the Jews have turned away from God. A few are being saved as a result of God's kindness in choosing them. And if they are saved by God's kindness, by their good works. For in that case, God is wonderf- God's wonderful kindness would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. So this is the situation. Most of the Jews have not found the favor of God they are looking so, for so earnestly. A few have, the ones, God's, the ones God has chosen, but the rest were made unresponsive. As the scriptures say, quote, God has put them into a deep sleep. To this very day, he has shut their eyes so they do not see and closed their ears so they do not hear. David spoke of this same thing when he said, let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. Blessings cause them to stumble. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see and let their backs grow weaker and weaker. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. His purpose was to make his salvation available to the Gentiles, and then the Jews would be jealous and want it for themselves. Now, if the Gentiles were enriched because the Jews turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when the Jews finally accept it. Psalm 21, a Psalm of David. How the King rejoices in your strength, O Lord. He shouts with joy because of your victory. For you have given him his heart's desire. You have held back nothing that he requested. You welcomed him back with success and prosperity. You placed a crown of finest gold on his head. He asked you to persevere, uh, sorry, preserve his life, and you have granted his request. The days of his life stretch on forever. Your victory brings him great honor. And you have clothed him with splendor and majesty. You have endowed him with eternal blessings. You have given him the joy of being in your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord. The unfailing love of the Most High will keep him from stumbling. You will capture all your enemies. Your strong right hand will seize all those who hate you. You will destroy them as in a flaming furnace when you appear. The Lord will consume them in his anger. Fire will devour them. You will wipe their children from the face of the earth. They will never have descendants. Though they plot against you, their evil schemes will never succeed. For they will turn and run when they see your arrows aimed at them. We praise you, Lord, for all your glorious power. With music and singing, we celebrate your mighty acts. Proverbs 24 through 6. If you are too lazy to plow in the right season, you will have no food at the harvest. Though good advice lies deep within a person's heart, the wise will draw it out. Many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is really faithful? And to end today, we're back in The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg, and we are in the chapter called An Unhurried Life. And basically, we diagnosed hurry sickness in our lives. And if you do not um, suffer from hurry sickness, then you can be my, my slowing mentor. Um, but I have a feeling all of us could relate to those, um, those symptoms of hurry sickness. And here is the cure today. So again, the purpose of spiritual disciplines is to do by deliberate action um, what we can't 
do by intention. So we can do in deliberate action by small steps um, what will eventually make a huge difference in our lives. So these are, these are the, the slowing cures. And the first one is just slowing. It says, this involves cultivating patience in deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. This practice has a definite game-like quality, although we might not like it much, at least at first. So over the next month, he, des he describes that we could practice deliberately driving in the slow lane on the highway. Instead of trying to pass slow drivers, say a little prayer <laughs> for them, asking God to bless them. For a week, eat your food slowly. Uh, when you're in the grocery store, you know it's coming. Choose what you think is the slowest checkout line. Go for one day without wearing a watch. So the list could go on, but you get the idea. We must find ways to deliberately choose waiting, ways that make hurry impossible. As we practice them, we should tell God we are trusting him to enable us to accomplish all that we need to get done. Often people worry that if they don't rush, they will accomplish less. But in fact, researchers have found that there is simply no correlation between hurry and productivity. And the other, so practice slowing. That's the first one. The second one, really, there's really only two main ones. Um, the other is solitude. Um, and that is the more traditional practice. Jesus taught his followers, saying, come away to a deserted place. Wise followers of Christ's way have always understood the necessity and benefit of solitude. It is, to quote an old phrase, the furnace of transformation. What makes solitude so important? Solitude is the one place where we gain freedom from the forces of society that will otherwise relentlessly mold us. And he gives the example of the frog that uh, put it in a pot of boiling water, it will immediately hop out but put the frog in water that it's at room temperature and heat it slowly. The creature will stay there until it boils to death. Put him in a lethal environment suddenly and he will escape, but introduce the danger gradually and he will never notice. The truth is that the dangers to which we are most vulnerable are generally not the sudden, dramatic, obvious ones, but we do live in a lethal environment. Thomas Merton wrote that the early church fathers placed such a premium on solitude because they considered society to be a shipwreck from which any sane person must swim for their lives. And I think that's never more true than it is today. This was a great, I just have to share this with you, this stuck with me. It says, one writer notes an experiment done with mice a few years ago. A researcher found that it takes a high dose of amphetamines to kill a mouse living in solitude. But a group of mice will start hopping around and hyping each other up so much that a dosage 20 times smaller will be lethal. So great is the effect of, quote, the world on mice. In fact, a mouse that had been given no amphetamines at all, placed in a group on the drug, will get so hopped up that in 10 minutes or so, it will be dead. We might guess that only a mouse would be so foolish as to hang out with a bunch of other mice that were so hopped up, going about at such a frantic pace in such mindless activity for no discernible purpose that they would put their own well-being and even lives at risk. It would be wrong to think so. The messages come at us in the same continual stream and we buy into them. We're drawn to hurry 
it makes us feel important. So we need to practice solitude, and he says that that requires relentless perseverance. So brief periods of solitude, and this can be presenting your schedule to the Lord at the beginning of the day. So you can make your plans. I have a mentor who was so um, diligent about using her day well that she would plan out her day every half, you know, in half hour or one hour increments throughout the day. But then she would pray over it in the morning and ask the Lord to take control of it. And she was never hurried. And she was always willing to be interrupted because of that, because she had placed it in God's hands. You can also take deliberate times throughout the day, five-minute periods throughout the day, just to be still. And review the day with God at the end of the day, um, before you go to bed, perhaps, and, and see where you uh, found those places of solitude and where you felt his presence. And then he... Ex he um, suggests extended solitude. So a whole day, um, ideally even a whole week, but perhaps just several hours or a day at first where you basically have no plan. Um, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. So I pray that you have an unhurried day today. Love you all.